All right, question for us. How many of you grew up in the church? How many of you have like kind of a deep church background? Quite a bit of you. All right. Um, I grew up in the church. I like in the church nursery from day one and have been in kids ministry and youth ministry and all the way up, lived in church, watched all the church movies. It's a part of my heritage. It's wonderful. I'm grateful for it. But I look back on that time, especially as a kid and think, man, did we watch and listen to some weird stuff. And if you're here and you've grown up the church, then maybe you can appreciate some of these memories along with me. I want to go down a, a, a little quip down, trip down memory lane to uh, really reminisce on some of the great Christian media of the 80s and 90s, days gone by. Uh, and so first, and perhaps most importantly, we begin with the large blue choir book, Salty. Anyone remember Salty? Oh, come on. Not, not like, man, you are some salty. It starts with a P, like salty. And uh, I remember watching cartoons of, of this book who loved the Lord and taught children how to sing songs about it. It was wonderful. And uh, he had a whole collection of cassettes called Praise Kids or Kids Praise. Uh, his tagline, I kid you not, his tagline was, you can sing Christian songs till you're blue in the face, but if it's not from your heart, it's not real praise. That's a true story. That's really what it was. And I remember he got really popular. And so the, the more his kind of song collections grew, the more they had to like expand the Salty universe. And so they had to introduce him, a, a wife to him. And so he married Saltina. And then they had children, three little kids, uh, rhythm and, and a harmony and melody. And they didn't call them kids. They called them booklets. <laughs> also not a joke. This is real life. This is the Salty universe. Uh, I remember one day, though, I was watching Salty, and it was not an animated version. It was like a man puppet costume version that looked like this. And that was the day I was done forever. That was the day I closed the chapter, so to speak, on Salty, the blue choir book. We were out. We were out. I'm sorry for even showing you that picture today, actually. Uh, I remember another one. His name was the Donut Man. I don't know if any of you knew the Donut Man. Uh, the Donut Man was a carpenter who repaired things and also had a pet donut named Duncan. I just, I just want to leave that with you. That is the entire summary. He was a repairman with a donut. And, and, and kind of the whole premise behind him was that we are like donuts. If, if life without Jesus is like a donut because there's a hole in the middle of your heart. So he would repair donuts and put things in the middle. I don't even really know where it was going, but he, that's what he did. And uh, I remember, you know, he's been around for ages. I got to give the guy kudos. I think he's still going. And uh, our, our oldest daughter, Emily, when she was younger, uh, was somehow, through some bizarre twist of fate, we got a hold of a Donut Man movie, and she loved him. And he was actually in the city a few years ago. A few. I mean, it's been a bunch. But we went and saw him. I got to witness the Donut Man with my own eyes. What a treat. It was delightful. Um... Uh, moving on, does anyone remember McGee and Me? It was like a whole, like every church library had 42 VHS copies of McGee and Me just beaten to shreds. It was great. Uh, then there was Adventures in Odyssey, which was a radio show that's been around for decades. You know you're old when you're a radio show, right? That, that alone ages you. And uh, we have listened to so much Adventures in Odyssey in our household I feel like I know John Avery Whitaker on a deep level, and it's wonderful. 
But as my kids have gotten older, we used to listen to it in the car all the time. They've gotten older now, and they request things like Drake, and Wit would be so angry. He would be so mad if he knew that's what we were doing. Um, so many memories of old school. We could go on. This could be a long. This could be the whole sermon. We can't stay here. Um, but so many memories of all of these songs I remember learning as a kid in church. And, and the crazy thing about it is that I still know most of them off by heart. And I think most of you do too, if you were to hear some of these. Old, like remember, I've got the joy, 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 joy down in my heart. No, that's it. We're done. <laughs> it's been decades since you sang that and you know it, some of you. Uh, anyone remember, my God is so big. So strong and so mighty, there's nothing my God cannot do. Yeah, that was the key part. That's what we loved about that song. It was my favorite. It's been a long time. We still know it. Um, But there's one one song that I remember as a kid that I actually still hear. I don't hear those songs regularly, but I hear this one regularly. It'll pop up on, like, TV commercials. I'll hear it in TV shows. People even kind of outside the church world have tried to make it their own. They can't, but they still use it. And it's the song, This Little Light of Mine. You see... See, and, and you can say that it's this little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. Now, four octaves higher, this little light of mine, and it just keeps going up. It's really hard to sing, and you just sing that 42 times, but there's also a, a, like a verse to that song, and, and again, I, when I was a kid, I loved this because there was a verse that was like, hide it under a bushel, oh no, and I remember as a kid, they taught us to like really yell that one out. And I remember as a kid, I actually remember thinking it was hide it under a bush. Oh, no. Which, if that's a candle, that's like a fire safety hazard. But we didn't care. It didn't need to make sense. It was hide it under a bush. Oh, no. I'm going to let it shine. Let it shine. Let it shine. And uh, we loved singing that song. It was years, literally years later before I realized that's a passage of the Bible. That's like a verbatim scripture passage that is in the book well, of multiple Gospels. Um, and, and so we would sing this song, and it was Scripture, and it was wonderful. The obvious point of that song, of course, is that we are little lights, and we're supposed to go out into the world and shine our light, and it's a nice song. It's, it's Scripture. It's a nice little tune. It's a, a good sentiment. Uh, the question is, are we still doing that? Are we still doing it? I screamed at the top of my lungs when I was eight that I would not hide it under a bush or bushel. 30 years later, how am I doing? <laughs> I mean, I will take that vote of confidence. I'm literally paid to be okay at it. Outside the church, though, man, how are we doing? How are we all doing with it? You know, it's a song we know, it's a song we memorized, but did we really do it? Are we still shining our light? And, and there's this whole kind of idea, this, this whole Christian premise referred to as evangelism that is the act of telling other people about Jesus. It is one of the most basic tenets of our faith. The commandment is all through Scripture that we would go out into the world and, and tell people about Jesus. You are the light of the world, right? So go shine your light so that people can hear about Jesus and, and we like that idea, and we think it's a wonderful thing to do. The question is, when you really boil it down to its most practical, real, tangible act, are you doing that? 
Are we doing it? You know, are we introducing people to Jesus? Are we modeling it for them with our life? Are we walking through this journey with them of a relationship? How are we doing with this? I mean, the church has been doing this for 2,000 years. You'd think we'd have it figured out by now. Like, we should have this thing mastered by now. We've been doing it for 2,000 years. I think if we're being honest, most of us would say, this one's a bit of a struggle for me. This is one of those parts of my faith that just doesn't quite come as naturally to me. It sounds so simple. You should just go out and tell people about Jesus. People need Jesus. You know him. Put it together. Work it out. It's wonderful. But man, we, we have a hard enough time telling people about anything. Like to go talk to someone, especially if we don't even know them, we're like, I don't know. Right? And I'm the kind of guy, I know some of you are too, that like back in the day when I had hair, if I went and got a haircut, and, and if it was awful and the person just butchered it and had have asked, how is it? I would have said, great, perfect, thanks. Right? Like we're kind of like that. We're, we're just like, no, I don't want to cause any trouble. I don't want to stir anything up. don't want to have awkward conversations with people I barely know. And, and so we still do this, and we bump into people all the time at work or at school or in our neighborhoods, whatever it is. And, and, and really, this whole kind of small talk just shows, well, yeah, how's the weather? How about those sports team scores? How's all that stuff going on, Right. And, and even that's difficult enough, but to be, like, you're telling me now I've got to go beyond that into, like, the spiritual realm in the deepest of things, life or death and the purpose and meaning behind all, that's what you want me to do, really. It's a bit of a jump, and so instead we stick with, the leaves are beautiful this time of year. I want to talk about this today. I want to talk about, I don't even know what to call it. I, I would say evangelism, but that word has so many connotations. I think we've ruined the word evangelism to some degree. It's very churchy. It, maybe it brings to mind people that are very aggressively going door to door with tracks in their hand, or maybe it's the, the guy on a street corner with a megaphone just that looks a little bit crazy, and, and we always try and tell people, that's not like us. We don't really do that. Right? It's the word evangelism. We struggle with it a little bit. It has some baggage. But I, I want to talk about what it means that we would go out into the world and tell people about Jesus Christ. And, 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 and even in the way we talk, well, the lost people or the unsaved people. I don't even like those terminologies because then it becomes a game of who's in and who's out. It, you lump people into categories. You don't even kind of see them for who they are. Well, I'm going to go reach the unsaved today. Actually, that's John. Right? He's got a name. He's a person. Right, So we, we've just kind of muddled this up a little bit, and we miss the supernatural mystery, I think, sometimes that comes with telling people about Jesus because we've turned it into such a mechanical thing. And, and, and I think we've even turned evangelism maybe more into an event than it was ever intended to be. It, it becomes this thing where like, the church sets out to almost conquer people. We're going to go take back the land for Jesus. I'm going to go pluck the pagans out of eternal damnation. It'll be great. Right? And, and it's a little frightening, I think, to people sometimes. And, and, and it's a little bit off, I think. The motive might be good. We want people to experience Jesus. But the method might not have always been the best. And the church throughout history has gone wildly astray many times in, in their efforts to reach people for Jesus. Whether it's like the crusaders holding a sword up to someone's neck saying, well, you're going to convert or die today. Not the best method we've ever had. Right? I often wonder how they celebrated those conquests. 
right? Like, is it like modern day pastors where they would come, do you know that we saw 100 people accept Jesus today? No, they made a decision to not get murdered, right? Like that wasn't a decision for Jesus, right? We've, we've messed this up a little bit. Uh, and, and so I say all of that to say this, we've struggled a little bit with this in the church, haven't we? We've struggled with this a little bit. And, and so I want to talk about it today, maybe in, in a new way, in a way that will really fit with where our, char- our church is right now as we unpack this vision for who we believe God is asking us to be. And we've talked about this vision for our church to, to really get healthy as a church, to really kind of have a new focus on, on authentic community, to be a church that rests biblically, that, that we would be made whole the way that, that Jesus intends for us to be made whole. And so all of those things are good and great, but the problem is that if we just left it at that, we would have a very inward focus as a church. We can't just focus on ourselves. We believe in a gospel that is a sending gospel. We believe in a gospel where, where Jesus said, I want you to go out into the world. And so we can't just sit inside and think about ourselves all the time. We, we need to be going out. And I want to talk about maybe the way that we've done evangelism as a church, not just a local church, but maybe just as the modern church has tended towards evangelism and, and talk about maybe how it's not been the most effective way. And maybe there's a healthier way. Maybe there's a better way to kind of get, to get this in a way that looks more like Scripture. And so we've been doing a lot of talk about the early church. We've been going back to the book of Acts, all through the New Testament, talking about, all right, here's, here's how it looked. Here's what they did. Here's what they were commanded. And, and which is good to do. I, I always say this every time, though. Sometimes we romanticize the early church. And we think, if we could just go back to the book of Acts, that'd be perfect. They were messed up, and it was complicated also, right? So it's not just the modern church doesn't look anything like Acts. We're all wrong. It's broken. No, they were pretty messed up also. But I do believe that there are some pretty clear scriptural commands for the church that we got back in the book of Acts and beyond that I think are really helpful for us today. And so let's hop around the book of Acts. If you've got your Bibles, we're going to start in Acts chapter 2. Verse 44, it says, And all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. They worshiped together at the temple each day, met in homes for the Lord's Supper, shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. And so what I see in this passage is the church doing some of its most basic things. They met together, they prayed, they worshiped, they just enjoyed one another's company. It was clear that they were having a good time, they were generous, it it, it was going pretty well, it was pretty, pretty straightforward, but then it ends with, and a whole bunch of people got saved, a whole bunch of people got added to the church. And I read that and I think, well, what did they leave out? Certainly, they must have left something out because I don't read anything in here about their outreach program. I don't see anything in here about the salvation call that someone led them through, the sinner's prayer. There was no big event to attract all of the unbelieving pagans of the day. That The church simply did what it was supposed to do, and it grew. People were at it. It's almost like it was a byproduct of what they were doing. It, it doesn't say they set out to make the church grow They just did what the church was supposed to do, and it grew. Acts chapter 16, verse 4. 
It says, then they went from town to town instructing the believers to follow the decisions made by the apostles and elders in Jerusalem. So the churches were strengthened in their faith and grew larger every day. So again, what we read here is it was a picture of the disciples, uh, the the believers being discipled and called to obedience, and, and they were made stronger through that. But again, as a byproduct of them growing and learning, the church grew. Like there was no attractional component. That there was no, you got to come to our church. There's an iPad giveaway this weekend. There's no slick marketing. It was just the believers were instructed and the church grew. Interesting. Go look at Acts chapter 9, verse 31. It says, the church then had peace throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria, and it became stronger as the believers lived in the fear of the Lord, and with the encouragement of the Holy Spirit, it also grew in numbers. So this is right after Paul gets converted, miraculous moment, half the church is terrified of Paul because he's been murdering them, half the church is excited that, hey, this guy met Jesus, it's, it's great, and, and then that passage of scripture ends with what we just read, the believers had peace, they lived in the fear of the Lord, it wasn't they were terrified of God, it's just in living in the fear of the Lord is worship, it's obedience, it's reverence, and with the help of the Holy Spirit, it grew. Again, so there's, there's this pattern that emerges in the book of Acts where it seems like that the more the disciples, the more the believers grew in their faith and were discipled in their faith and lived in obedience, the church just automatically grew. In other words, the stronger and healthier the believers got, the more the church grew. The stronger and healthier the believers got, the more the church grew. I think that's kind of interesting. Maybe you think that sounds pretty straightforward. I think it's interesting mainly because it seems to be the exact opposite way that we look at evangelism today, at least how we've done it by and large in the modern church. The modern church thinking today is, all right, do everything you can to attract people to the church. You got to have big events. You got you to go nuts and, and you got to be attractional, pour all kinds of money into marketing, go big on creativity and production and prizes. We, we'll get a whole bunch of people saved and build the church. But what I read in the book of Acts is if you actually build up the church, you'll see a whole bunch of people get saved. You, you see how it's the opposite. I think we've got it backwards a little bit. And if the church as a people are being poured into and discipled and equipped and growing in their faith, they'll do the work of drawing people into the kingdom of God naturally. In theory, that's how it should work. We're not going to have to force people to show up to church. We're not going to have to entice people and lure them to the church by any other means than here's love and community and peace and joy, this is what it looks like. We, we have somehow believed that we need to make church appealing. We've kind of bought into this way of thinking that you've got to make church attractive, you've got to make it appealing so that people will, will find their way into the church. If the church is doing what it should be doing, it's going to be attractive. If it looks the way that Jesus intended, it, you understand that God doesn't need any help becoming more appealing? That's kind of a funny sentence, isn't it? 
Like, God doesn't need any help becoming more appealing. Who are we to think that we need to entice his creation to, to be any more kind of attracted to the guy who created? It's like we're trying to be God's PR people. All right, God, I know you've gotten a little bit older. We, we, I know you've kind of grown up a little bit, and so it's a new day. We've got to freshen you up a little bit. We've got to make you a little bit more relevant. I've got some ideas. It's going to be really good. The gospel doesn't need any help. It's already the good news. It is the best news. There is no greater news. There is no greater truth. There is no greater joy. There is no better promise in the world than death has been defeated. Well, I don't have to. Yeah, yeah, but we should really do an iPad giveaway. Like, what have we been thinking? Like, what, what have we bought into that this is what we have to do? The problem is not that God needs a new PR team. The problem is that too many people in the church aren't doing a good enough job at embodying the gospel of Jesus Christ. You don't have to convince people to want joy and hope and peace. They already want it. They just need to see it. They just need to see what it looks like. They need to see what it looks like that you're experiencing it and living in it. And it sounds funny to say, I just, I think we've lost a a relational component of salvation that it's biblically, it was often a community effort. It was a thing that everyone bought into. It's like, what, what do people see when, they in your, when they're in with you? <laughs> what, what do they experience when, when they're kind of where you're gathered? What, what are people looking at when they see your life? In other words, is the gospel you're living a gospel worth wanting? Is the gospel you're living right now when people look at it, a gospel worth wanting. When people see Jesus and experience his power and see the church for what it's supposed to be, I don't think we'll have to convince anyone. I don't think we're going to have to trick anyone in through the doors of the church and, and then blindside them with, I'm just joking, here's Jesus. <laughs> I think if we can show them the church, they'll be able to look at it and go, all right, I want what that is. I want to be a part of that. I want to read what the Bible says about our role in this whole thing. This is 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And it says, And all of this is a gift from God who brought us back to himself through Christ, and God has given us this task of reconciling people to him. This is to the church. So if you're here and you're a part of the church, you have been given this task to reconcile people to God. The the word reconcile just means that that you're kind of bringing people back into a right relationship, that that you're bringing peace where there hasn't been, that you're bringing wholeness where there was a fracture. People are coming back together, and, and, and the Bible is saying that's your job now for people is to help them reconcile back to God. The, the passage goes on, verse 19. For God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. And he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. So this is what Jesus did. He came to reconcile people to God. There was a pretty huge gap in the middle, and he came to bridge that gap. Thing is, Jesus died and then left. So now what? Well, this is verse 20. So now we are Christ's ambassadors. Listen to this. God is making his appeal through us. 
We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. And verse 20, is, it is a mic drop, right? I mean, that is pretty significant. We are Christ's ambassadors. In politics, that's a word where you represent some kind of entity, right? Like Canada has an ambassador to Russia. They, they show up in Russia and they're like, hi, I'm Canada. And they represent all of us to that country. And there's a little bit of weight in that responsibility, right? You'd, you'd want to make sure you had the right person being your ambassador. And, and so the realization is that we are now that for God. We are Jesus' ambassadors. And so we're out in the world going, hi, this is what Jesus looks like. This is how Jesus talks. And, and we're supposed to be a picture of Christ to the world. The, the, the scripture says that God is making his appeal through us. I mean, that's big. I have people ask me every week, man, I don't know how you write a sermon. I don't know how you preach a sermon every week. You preach a sermon every week with your life, with your words, with your actions, with the way that you embody the gospel. It says you are, you are making, God is making his appeal through us. You are making an appeal to the world saying, Here, look, this is, what, this is what Jesus looks like. And it doesn't say that as a suggestion. It's not like, and some of you, if you decide, will make this appeal to the world. It says, you are whether you mean to or not. No matter how you're living, if you call yourself a follower of Christ, you are making that appeal to the world. Whether you mean to or not, you should mean to. This matters. This is how our world sees Jesus. So it's not, am I doing this? It's, how am I doing with this? It's, how am I doing with it? So the question again is, are you letting your little light shine? Cute song, heavier meaning. Are people more inclined to want Jesus the more they spend time with you? That's a heavy question. The more that people spend time with you, do, do, would they want Jesus more? It's hard. It's really hard. And, and so because it's hard, I think we've shifted this whole idea of evangelism to be something that the local church will just do for us. The church will do this on my behalf. Uh, and so we make salvation a moment in the service. We make it a prayer that you can pray and you can raise your hand and then we're done and we can celebrate, hey, 10 people got saved in church today and I didn't have to do anything. And it's good, you can celebrate that. That's great. But I'm not sure it's, it's always the best method. See, we're back to this idea that evangelism is an event, that it's, this, it's kind of this moment, have an event, draw a huge crowd, try and entice people to Jesus with words or whatever else, and, and then get some hands in the air and then count them, and, and, and then we're done. And see, what, the, what has the possibility of happening here is that we just leave it at that, and we're like, oh, yeah, 10 people got saved, woo! The next question is, who are they? Do you know them? Did you just send them home? Like, do they know where to start? Do they know what they signed up for? Do they know how to read the Bible? Do they know what's next? Like, we can't, we can't just celebrate hands. <laughs> we, what's more? There's got to be more after that. And, and, and so there, it's got to be more than a moment because if we just leave it at the moment and we celebrate the moment, what we do is we run the risk of all of those moments just walking away from the church. And, and I look back on our last, I don't know, say five years, 
And we've had a lot of salvations that we've celebrated at Crosspoint. Every year, 25, 30, 40 people get saved, and we highlight that number. It's awesome. And it hurts me to say this, but I don't know most of their names. And I don't know if most of them are even here. I'm not sure I knew what happened to them after that moment. It's not that we didn't try. It's not that we didn't attempt to find out who they are. It's just a really hard method to do any kind of follow-up with. It's a really hard method to track them down and to build a a relationship from scratch. This person just showed up cold from church and they made a decision about their eternal, like, significance. And, 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 like, how do you even go from there? What does it look like? And I know people who have raised a hand in a church service or at a, a convention or whatever, and it's worked for them. It's been awesome. Maybe you are one of them. It's great. I'm not denying that it doesn't work. What I'm just saying is that usually the only way those people ever lasted in the church is that they had people with them. They had a community. They had a network. They had prayer. They had support. They didn't just go back home to nothing. They had someone. What about all the people who don't? What about all the people who didn't? What does it look like for them? We just counted their number and celebrated it and sent them home. But what's next? I I don't know. I think we need to move to thinking about salvation as more than this moment that happens, this mystical Sunday morning, Saturday night moment, and remember that salvation is really this thing that you're living out every day in your life. It's what you're showing to people. The Bible says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. In other words, are are you getting better at it? Are you working at it? Are, Are you modeling it? Are you being Christ's ambassador? It's not about a number. It's about a name. And, and, and what I want is, is for us to move from it being this corporate event to something that we all bear the responsibility of as being part of the church. This is something that we are all called to do. You can't boil evangelism down to an invitation that the pastor gives at the end of church. It's, it's how you're living when you leave this place. This isn't the mission field. That is... It's not just about, well, better get people here and make them say a thing. No, it's what you're doing out there. That's the mission field. We need to make the appeal for people. We need to speak Christ. We need to show them joy. I mean, that's the call that Jesus gave us. This is the Great Commission. This is what was on all of the church. It's Matthew 28, 18. It said, Jesus came and told his disciples, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make what? Disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you and be sure of this. I am with you always and even to the end of the age. The goal of the church is to go make disciples. It's not to count converts. It's to walk relationally with people through their, their, their relationship with Jesus Christ. If all we ever do is count hands and leave it at that, we are not actually fulfilling the Great Commission. We're not. It's like boiling down parenting to just be the moment of birth. The doctor's like, it's a girl, and we're like, woo, I did it, parenting. Now, you just started, and you get a whole lifetime ahead of you every single day discipleship is so much more than just a moment of, yeah, I got saved. Woo, well, I guess my work is done here. It's not. It's only beginning. And we get a whole lifetime with these people. 
to, to be discipled and to be equipped and to get stronger and to learn what it means to live for Jesus. It's a process. It's relationship. It's building one another up in community with health. It's our spiritual gifts. And the thing is, it's just it's harder to do this. It's messier to do this. It's longer to do this. It's not as easy to measure. But it's what we're called to do. Make disciples. Teach them how to obey. Does that language sound familiar? Because it's what we read in each of those passages in the book of Acts. That's what they did in the church grew. They, they fulfilled their calling to be Christ's ambassadors. And they grew in their own faith. And as a natural byproduct, the church grew. Because when the church is doing what the church is supposed to be doing, the church will grow. And so, maybe instead of focusing on a large number, maybe what we need to do is focus on a much smaller number. It seems counterintuitive. But here's the thing. In, in prior years, the last few years, we've used the number the 55,000 as a vision number to say that's how many people we estimate are in our city who aren't in church, who aren't in relationship with Jesus. And so we have said, man, we're going after the 55,000 and it's a big vision. It's compelling. We're like, yeah, I like that. But here's the thing. It's such a big number. It, it's hard to make it tangible. It's such a big number that you can kind of step away from it and be like, I hope they do a good job with that, right? It's such a big number, it seems almost impossible. And so the push is, well, you better have a big event and get a whole bunch of people and see a whole bunch of, if you're going to put a dent in the 55,000, good luck. And so it, to me, it's the equivalent, and just stay with me on this metaphor, it's the equivalent of trying to carry all the grocery bags from your car at once into your kitchen, you know what I mean by that? I'm not alone in that, right? Um, we think, all right, the best way to do this is one run. I'm going to go big. We're going to do it all at one time. And so you try and get all those bags, and you're putting them on like individual fingers, trying to figure out, can the weight of this bag, can my pinky finger hold it? And, and then you put the heavier things on your index. The apples are in this one. We'll put it on the index. And you got all of your fingers and all of your arms loaded up. And, and then you're trying to like walk, but you got to walk like this because everything's balancing. And then, and then you drop 14 things, and you're like, oh, it's okay. I'll be back. I'll be back. And then you get up to the door and you're like, I can't open the door. And how am I supposed to get a key? I don't have a free hand for a key. I can't even open a doorknob. And if someone's home, you start kicking the door and you drop more things. And, and then no one comes to the door because some maniac is kicking the door. And, and then you finally get in there and everything's broken and dropped. And you got to go back out and do all the runs again where you miss things. You know what works better? A few runs with less items. And, and it seems like it wouldn't be. It seems like, no, that's... I have to do more runs with less bags? This is going to take forever. I don't have all the time in the world to bring my groceries in. Seems counterintuitive, but you know what? It, it works. And you'll actually probably get it done quicker when you take a few less things a few more times. And guess what? More things probably won't get broken and dropped it's probably going to be a much smoother process, and you're not going to terrify your family. See, we're just drawn to do things. we got to do it big. we got to do it in one shot. we got to get as many people as we possibly can to be a part of this. And that's the story of, of evangelism for the modern church. Fill up a stadium. Get as many people in you can. See as many hands in the air you can. And we see them, and we count them. We're like, we did it. It's not working. It's not really working. 
See, in our strive to reach everyone, I'm not sure we've reached anyone, if that makes sense. See, these are the questions that are hard to ask as a pastor, but I, I look back at our last five years and I look at our church growth and it's gone up, but then you're faced with the question of, are these brand new people to the kingdom or did we gain just a whole bunch of people from other churches? And we can celebrate that we grew. Woo! We did not grow the kingdom. And the goal is to grow the kingdom. We grew as a church, but we didn't fulfill the Great Commission. And I'm okay with people showing up from other churches. We, we accept people and we love it. Hope it goes well for you. We have sent some people and I hope it goes well for them. But it's not my goal. My goal is to make the kingdom bigger. So think about it like this. May, you know, have, have we messed up this whole idea of, you know, making salvation this big moment and, and, and hoping that would do the job for us? Or maybe is there a better way to do it? Think about it like this. If I didn't give a salvation call for the next year, for the next 52 weekends, I don't give the opportunity for anyone to get saved at our church Will new people be added to the kingdom through Crosspoint? In theory, absolutely, because there's hundreds of us. But in reality, it hasn't happened. I look back at our, like I said, last five years, I don't see it happening. So what's broken? There's, there's something wrong. And, and I've heard people ask pastors, and, and maybe you have too, probably not because these are just the circles I work in, but I've, I've heard people say, you pastor a church of 200 people and not one person got saved? Like, what is wrong? Like, what did you do wrong? And, and a fair question, that pastor shepherds that flock, et cetera, et cetera. But I think it's fair for a pastor to be able to ask his congregation the same thing. 200 Christians combined effort for a whole year and not one person got added to the kingdom? See, this isn't about whose fault it is. It's just that we've dropped the ball somewhere and we need to get it right. It's that it's broken somewhere along the way. And if we really believe in it, then we need to make sure that we're getting it right. If, if a church of two or three or 400 people can go a whole year that is a combined effort of mature, adult, growing up Christians and no one is getting added to the kingdom, man, that's a problem. See, we've just left the emphasis on the church. The church will do that. The pastor will do that. Let's have a moment. Let's, let's have Easter services nine times a year. That'll be great. That'll do it. No, no, no. The, the better way is that the two or three or 400 Christians go out and embody the gospel. And in doing so, at least according to Acts, the church will grow. People will be drawn to the kingdom. I think there's a healthier, more sustainable vision for our church and for salvation and for evangelism than the way we've been doing it. See, what Acts said is that the stronger and healthier the believers got, the larger the church grew. And so maybe we need to look at ourselves and think, ooh, maybe I need to get stronger and healthier at my own personal sense of evangelism. How am I living my life? Who am I reaching right now? When I look back on my five years, so Christians... Think back to your last five years. Who are you directly responsible for adding to the kingdom? 
And if that's not a big number, if that's not even a number, this isn't a guilt trip. That's just the acknowledgement of maybe something's off. And maybe we need to try something new. Maybe we need to all together as a family, as a community, get better at this. So here's what I want us to do. I want us to stop focusing on the 55,000, and I want us to focus on the one. I want you to think about one person in your life. One person that you have a relationship with, one person that maybe is not a part of the kingdom, and I want you to just embody the gospel for them. I want you to pray for them, fast for them. I want you to be deliberate in, in your relationship with them. See, the, the thing about authentic relationships here is that we're not trying to trick people in, into salvation. You're only being nice to me because you wanted me to get saved. I'm not interested in that. I want us to genuinely love people. There's a scripture that says that, right? Don't just say you love people, really love them. I don't want to trick anyone into the kingdom. I want to love the people in my life. And I want to do it in such a way that the people in my life who don't know Jesus would come to know Jesus, not because I want to say, hey, more people to the king, but because I love them and I want what's best for them. It's because I love them and I want them to be in the kingdom. So what's more effective for a church our size? To have a big event a couple times a year that hopefully 20 or 30 people would get saved at, or is it for the three or 400 Christians to go pray for the one person? See, I'm not great at math, but doesn't that actually do better in the long run for us? Seems it sounds counterintuitive. It sounds like the grocery thing again. Wait, wait, a, wait a minute. Instead of wanting big numbers, you, you just want one? You, you're just gonna, it, it sounds like it would be slower, but if we're all doing it, actually it's much better. That's the model that is given to us in Scripture. It works that way. It sounds slower. It sounds like less, but it's multiplication. If 300 people focus on one person each this year, and that could be 300 more people to the kingdom. And here's the thing. They're not strangers. You know them. So there's already discipleship happening. There's a relationship with them. There's follow-up with them. They're, they're not just a stranger who, who made a decision and bolted, and we, we have no idea where they ended up. It seems to me it might be a bit of a better way. The problem is that we just have to do it. We, we just have to actually do it. We need to care enough about people to see them. We need to be moved by compassion enough to put ourselves out there in relationship. The question for us today is, are you heartbroken enough for the lost people in your life to do something? Are you heartbroken enough for the lost people in your life to, to put yourself out there, to pray for them, to do life with them? If you got everything you prayed for in the last week, would anyone new have been added to the kingdom? Meaning, are lost people breaking your heart to the point where you're praying for them? Who's on your list that you're praying for? So we've got the gathering part of church figured out. Everyone gather together. Everyone come here. It'll be great. It's the sending out part that we're struggling with a little bit. But it seems like the Great Commission was very much a sending out thing, not just a gathering thing. And see, we talk about the measures of success in church, and what we measure is how many people can you gather? What if a real measure of success of a church was how many people are being sent out every single week and embodying the gospel of Jesus Christ? What does that look like? 
See, the, the reality is, no matter how much we dress it up, the vast majority of our community not going to walk through the doors of that church. The better way is that when we leave the doors of that church, we show them Jesus Christ. The goal isn't to convince anyone. The goal isn't to argue someone into heaven. The goal is not to talk theology. The goal is to love them. To show them what love and joy and peace and hope really look like. You don't have to fight. Salvation is the work of the Holy Spirit, right? Sometimes we get so caught up and I don't know what I'm going to say. I don't know what I was going to do. I don't know how I'm going to do this. You don't have to do anything. You can't save anyone. That's God's job. But you can love people. You can be his voice. You can be his ambassador. And you can show people what it looks like. Matthew 5.14 says, You are the light of the world. Like a city on a hill that cannot be hidden, no one lights a lamp and puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. God, help us. Amen.